Hi, my name is David Elstein, and this is the American Board of Orthopedic Surgery podcast. Each episode is designed to help busy orthopedic surgeons learn more about the ABUS and board certification. On this episode, we'll talk about the linking of the American Board of Orthopedic Surgery's Part 1 examination and the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons Orthopedic In-Training Examination, the OITE. Joining us is Dr. David Martin, Executive Medical Director of the American Board of Orthopedic Surgery and a practicing orthopedic sports medicine surgeon in North Carolina, along with Dr. Paul Tornetta, Second Vice President of the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons and a practicing orthopedic trauma surgeon in Massachusetts. Dr. Martin and Dr. Tornetta helped lead the initiative to link the two examinations. Hi, gentlemen. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks, David. Great to be here. Can each of you give us a bit of background of the examinations, how long they've been offered, what's the purpose of each examination? Uh, let's start with uh, Dr. Tornetta about the OITE. Say that I've been practicing for almost 30 years, and I took it when I was a resident, as many others have. So it's, it's a very longstanding exam. And the, the primary purpose of that exam is educational. So the Academy's goal there is to provide uh, questions that can help to advocate for a resident's self-assessment and ability to go back and read and see where their weak spots are, as well as their strong spots. So residents are graded against each other in their PGY year and enables them to understand where they lie within different subject matter areas. And uh, in addition to that, they're able to, um, you are able to see at a program level uh, how folks are doing. In other words, if um, my program has all my residents doing poorly in hand compared to other programs. I may know that I have a problem educating in that area and remediate not the residents, but my schedule or my lectures. So it's it's really twofold and it's it's always been based in a self-assessment for the residents and for the faculty and programs. Great. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Martin, can you tell us about the part one examination? Sure. And uh, those are great points that Paul raised. Our part one examination or the written examination moving towards uh, ABOS board certification has been around since probably about 1935. The board was founded in 1934 and it took them about a year to figure out that they uh, ought to have orthopedic surgeons take examinations. And it's gone from uh, uh, writing in blue books with um, essay questions to multiple choice examinations uh, taken in large uh, Halls to now uh, something that is administered uh, in uh, computer testing centers. But while the OITE main purpose is education and program evaluation, our part one examination is mainly used for board certification. So it's an assessment. It's an actual knowledge assessment and is meant to uh, allow an orthopedic surgeon to demonstrate that they've acquired the knowledge that we feel is commensurate with practicing effective orthopedic surgery. So I think those that sort of is the, the comparison of the two exams. So I think the OIT is mainly for education, and we understand that. And the part one ABOS examination is mainly for assessment. And what we've tried to do is put them together in the best way possible to actually help residents and help programs. Great. So, you know, you said these two examinations have long been completely separate examinations. So why was a decision made you know, to link them? We're using the term linking. And can you also, I guess, explain what linking means, uh, Dr. Tornetta? Yeah, sure. So I think David hit the, hit the nail on the head as, at the inception there is that 
we have an educational exam, but, but the point of the educational exam is to help residents prepare for the certifying exam. So while they seem like separate things, they're really one and the same, just at a different point in one's career. So there's no consequences behind doing poorly on the in-training exam other than saying, wow, I need to do a lot more work to do well on the certifying exam and become a practicing orthopedic surgeon. So while these things seem somewhat separate, they've always been, they've always been philosophically linked and the goal is the same to help residents acquire the knowledge necessary to become good surgeons. The, the formal linking of this was really, it came about, I think primarily from the board's interest in having something a little bit earlier in residency to give them an idea and, and our belief that we want to have an exam that, that is predictive of board passing rates. And, and those are things that we didn't really have. There have been studies done in the past looking at you know, well, if you're below a certain percentile within your class as a PGY-5 on the in-training exam, let's say below the 15th percentile, you're, a, you're more likely to fail part one of the boards. Now, thankfully, because educators do a wonderful job in residencies, the first time fail rate for the ABOS exam is quite low because people educate well with all these tools involved and with the advocacy of the board to get the curriculum out. So, that left us with really very little statistical ability to state how the in-training would do, because if you don't have a high failure rate, you really can't correlate that well with anything specific. So in the absence of other areas, the thought was that if we could link the exams more formally, that would give residents at, at each level a better objective idea, not compared to their colleagues, but compared to some standardized bar or threshold that they have to get over as to how they're doing. And, and that's where the, the project uh, really came into its inception. I don't know, Dave, do you have anything to add about that? Uh, no, that's a great summary. And I think you're exactly right. It, it, it came about really from both sides. I think uh, Paul came on board and really wanted to improve the value of the in-training examination. And at the board level, we were looking for some sort of a knowledge measure, a standardized knowledge measure as residents progressed uh, through their uh, educational programs. And as Paul said, that, that's valuable on two sides. It's valuable to the resident because they know where they stand uh, compared to a standard, which would be the passing standard on the actual part one examination, but also for programs to uh, hopefully look at their overall education. And I think uh, the one thing we, we looked at first was the blueprint, which actually sort of says what's on the examination. And at the same time, the academy was developing an overall resident education platform. Uh, we were looking at the blueprint for our part one examination. We put those two things together. And so hopefully the examinations now share a blueprint, not that every single question and every single number of questions is exactly the same, but again, the generalized percentages of where we think residents ought to be uh, focusing their attention uh, is the same on the two exams. And certainly that's something that we'll modify uh, on a regular basis, but I think matching up the blueprints was first, and then trying to set uh, a, a knowledge standard, if you will, that residents and program directors could look at as they progress through, because uh, you know, you want to identify residents who are in trouble. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And that and that blueprint project was really helpful. You know, the the 
the prior blueprint, prior to the one that's in, in effect now, was primarily anatomically based. And, and the in-training exam was uh, subspecialty based. And there's obviously a lot of overlap. So if you have an ankle fracture, you could be, you know, in anatomy, that's pretty simple, your ankle and fracture. But in subspecialty, you could be in trauma, you could be in foot and ankle, and there's a lot of overlap areas like that. So if you sum up the, the overall knowledge, it would be more than 100% inside of subspecialties, but certainly for an anatomical basis, 100%. So April Armstrong and others are really helpful, and, and, and the board was kind enough to invite members of the academy, including myself and uh, Steve Haddad and some others, to, to the Blueprint meeting so that we were able to have some input. And one of the things that came out of that was that we really did need to have some sort of a subspecialty-based scheme, because that's how we educate in programs, and that's how we deal with the in-training. So we've worked that out, um, really the board worked that out and gave us that result. And we use that as the blueprint for both the ROC, which is a resident orthopedic core knowledge curriculum, as well as for the in-training exam. And then once we had all that in place, the issue is just making sure. So for, so for instance, the same percentage of questions on the board exam for trauma is is on the in training, and that's the way that that that's the way that that works in terms of using the blueprint. Then the next step was the formalized linking, which you know that was done by a tremendous amount of work by really a lot of members of the board and myself and the and also the evaluations committee, of the academy. So a lot of folks involved. <clears throat> where essentially we we picked uh, question writers or their academy question writers who were on the evaluations committee and had very good scores for their questions, meaning that they understood how to write a question that would differentiate well and it had a good statistics to it. And those people were chosen by subspecialty interests and assigned very specific topics uh, to get questions from them. So these are new questions that were outside of the standard OIET process and outside the standard board process. And then those were done at a time frame, and Dave can explain this better than I can, that went into the board system to be fully reviewed and edited at the board level and then come back to me and then finally to Dave to get a final two checkoffs. And then those questions were placed uh, in July on the board exam <clears throat> so that that all those folks or not everybody, but a good number of people took those questions. And those same questions are then put on the in-training exam in November. And, and statistically, the two exams were linked using these anchor questions, which were essentially 60 questions a year. So that's, that's the initial onset. Now we're gonna continue to work at that and we keep making new sets of 60 because as opposed to the board, the OIT people take it five times so you can't keep putting the same questions on there. So we had a little, little extra work involved in getting that organized and, and processed, but we're well on our way now to getting our fourth set and then we'll uh, eventually have enough that we can continue to recycle, you know, standardize acceptable questions in the same way that the, that the board does. Uh, Dave, do you have more to add to that? Uh, no, that was a good description of the process. Uh, I really think we did, we leaned on experienced question writers, and those questions then went through the same process that our regular questions go through at the National Board of Medical Examiners uh, for review. And then are, are then, as Paul said, placed on the our examination, the part one examination in July. We look at that performance, uh, the ones that perform well, and it's about, tends to be about 60, as Paul said, each year. Then they're moved over to the OIT, and we're building a bank there uh, that hopefully we'll be able to use uh, over time to, uh, again, effectively the psychometricians like to call it rough linking because it's not 
uh, actually uh, exactly linked. Obviously, to link the two exams, you do exactly the same exam and give it twice. Well, this is that's not something that we want to do. And so this is a, a, what we call rough linking. Um, it, it, you know, I guess it, um, there are some um, warnings we probably should have like prior performance does not predict uh, future results and objects in the mirror may be closer than they appear. But it does give residents and their program directors, uh, we think a better evaluation than they had before about where residents are with their knowledge. And if a PGY3 is, rolling along and their knowledge looks good, then uh, a, uh, a program director like Paul can say, great, and not worry about that person so much. Uh, but they may be a little bit less comfortable in the operating room and they can focus on their surgical skills or focus their, their research uh, portion of their career. So I think this will uh, hopefully uh, improve resident education um, over programs. And just as Paul said, if our program scores lower in a certain section, sports medicine, oncology, we can shore up those areas of teaching. Uh, so, you know, each organization has its own separate mission, two separate organizations. The ABUS looks to protect the patient, the academy, you know, with education mission. Uh, Dr. Tornetta, you want to comment about how this initiative helps with the mission of the academy? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, the academy is really, it, it's, its mission is a lot larger than just education. We have a whole strategic plan with multiple missions and, you know, not not short of, of the fact that patient benefit is certainly one of our major emphasis. So I think that that the academy and the board are are just two slightly different versions of, of a similar thing, right? The board helps to establish what's necessary and the academy helps residents and, and physicians to sort of stay at that level. You know, we have other areas where we cooperate quite well. And I think the relationship between the academy and the board has never been better. Um, you know, things like MOC, things like transcripts, you know, we, we cooperate with respect to our fellows when they take educational programs and those transcripts can be loaded for MOC. So there's a lot of things that the academy and the board try to partner on to make life for surgeons better, education for residents and established surgeons better and, and uh, safety for patients to be at the highest level. And same question for you, Dr. Martin, how does it help with the ABUS's mission? Paul actually said it uh, as, as well as I could. Uh, our collaboration uh, is really critical for the field of orthopedic surgery for our diplomates and for academy fellows. And I think we are in the area of assessment. And so we try to assess uh, individual uh, developing orthopedic surgeons and orthopedic surgeons in practice. Uh, and if we can work together with the academy uh, on the educational side and on uh, uh, the more, uh, should we say, policy side, I think uh, we can move forward together. And um, that's critical, I think, to the field of orthopedic surgery and to orthopedic surgeons that we work together, try not to duplicate things, but also try to make our programs uh, hopefully mesh into a larger system. And that, that's how we will increase the value of what both of our organizations do and decrease the burden on our diplomates and AOS fellows. You're on, on mute. mute. Yep, I got it. For, you know, for this initiative, you know, specifically, how do you see it to continue to grow and evolve? Do you see it's going to change at all or is it just going to be, you know, keep up the same 
Everything changes. So I, I don't know what that change will be. And this is, you know, this is the exciting part of, of, of having a collaborative partner is that, that there are two different sides and people are focused on different things. And there are certainly things within this process that folks on the board raised to me that I had not thought of. And I, I hope vice versa, we've added some value to them. Um, you know, this is very similar to the Rock Project, which is the resident curriculum, is that it's going to come out, it's going to be finalized by the end of this year. I think it's fantastic. But I imagine that when I look at it in 10 years, it's going to be completely different. So I don't, I don't know where this is going to go. I think that it, it just opens up more avenues for a cooperative relationship between the boards assessing residents and how the academy may help in that process. And Dr. Martin? Yeah, I would agree with Paul exactly. There's going to be change, and we just have to continue to evaluate the program as we move forward, evaluate its value. I mean, I said the blueprint will probably change, and we need to figure out how to stay up with orthopedic surgery uh, with all of these programs and processes. I think our question writing may change. I think the way we examine people will probably change over the next 10 years, and we need to continue to uh, stay on uh, as close to the cutting edge, uh, uh, if you will. I, I think one of our uh, directors said that best. I think um, we need to be proud, but not satisfied. And so this has been uh, a, a really good collaboration and has worked really well. And I give uh, Dr. Tornetta a lot of the credit for um, being a driving force behind that. This took a lot of energy. But I think uh, now that we're there, we need to continue to evaluate and continue to move forward. Do you ever see the two examinations being combined into one examination? No, I, I, I don't because the, the point of the in-training exam is to give residents a continued update. So they, they take it annually. You know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't make a lot of sense to have a certifying exam, you know, quite early in their career. So it, I think this is actually the best of both worlds. It, it sort of meets both standards. It allows us to provide what we think is a, a very educational exam. You know, on the in-training exam, we'll, we will put questions on that are that are not hard at times, right? Because we wanna actually make a point. You know, I remember I, I ran the in-training exam for six years. I think I was on that committee for maybe 10. And every year we would put one or two, I, at least when I was running, we would put one or two questions on. <clears throat> there were slam dunk questions, but we just wanted to like eliminate a problem. Remember one year we put on, a question about reverse oblique intertrochs because we're just so tired of seeing people put in sliding hip screws that we're going to fail. So we put that as a gimme, like very easy question. We put it on, but anyone who got it wrong would look it up and they'd learn it. So essentially we were able to educate every orthopedic resident in the country, like don't do this, right? So, you know, the in-training has more than just that one purpose of being, but these linking questions don't, right? The linking questions are, are, are educational for them to learn from getting right or wrong, but they don't see them again. They're not available for review. They're banked, uh, but they do allow us to, to give them a much higher understanding or a clearer understanding of where they lie in terms of knowledge acquisition. So I, I don't see them being the same thing. I think this mix is really almost perfect. Same question to you. Uh, certainly, uh, I, I would agree. I would agree with that. Now, this is one person's opinion. I represent a board. And so uh, ultimately, our, our board uh, continues to set our direction. But I really feel like the these examinations will not be combined because they have different purposes. The OIT is an educational examination, and we need to remember that. At the same time, we're trying to make it just a little bit more of a knowledge check for residents. 
And I, I think Paul, Paul said it best. Some of those questions there, uh, you know, on the one side, we say, you know, well, if you can teach it, you can test it. But on the other side, you can say, you know, if we test something, people will teach it. And so I think we have the, the um, we have that power, if you will, but we can steer education based on the examinations, both on the OIT and on the part one exam. And, and I think to make sure we keep one as focused mostly on education with some reasonable knowledge check and the part one is an assessment to make sure an orthopedic surgeon has got the requisite body of knowledge and that they've learned at one time. It certainly changes over their career. And I think, but at one point, all orthopedic surgeons can attest to, I was able to learn a big body of knowledge. And the other things that we teach, the professionalism and the uh, continuing education, that will help as those areas change, because certainly the part one examination today is different than the one uh, Paul and I took, for sure. So thank you, Dr. Tornetta and Dr. Martin, for your time. More information about the linking can be found on the ABUS website under residents and on the ABUS resident dashboard. The AAOS website also does a fine job of explaining the initiative. If you enjoyed this episode of the American Board of Orthopedic Surgery podcast, please subscribe to us on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you listen to podcasts so you know the next episode is posted.